0: Solely on one phrase in the verse, all right, so one single phrase in the verse is what we're going to focus on, so if you have your Bibles and uh, in, your, in your in Galatians 2, holler out, hallelujah, amen, amen. Praise, Jesus. praise Jesus, Jimmy's the best, <laughs> okay, all right, well, <laughs> let's all stand, um, well, honor the reading of God's holy and perfect word, it's verse 20, Galatians chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your truth and I thank you for the truth that the Apostle Paul wrote in our text today. One of the greatest (coughs) truths some of the greatest truths that we'll ever read out of your word about our own personal lives and our own personal walks with you. So, God, I thank you for it today. I thank you for what you've done for us, and Lord, I pray today that we can see your work and uh, see your hand at work, Lord. If there be any amongst us that are apart from your Son Jesus, Lord, I pray today through the preaching and teaching of your Word and through the proclamation of your gospel that those sinners come home to glory. So, Lord, I ask you for that, and, I, and we, we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. It's in Jesus' holy and perfect and beautiful name that we pray. Amen. So, as I said, this scripture, my favorite scripture in all, the, all of the Bible, it's, it's, it's actually a very powerful commentary on the Christian life. As I said, there's, there are many truths that we can pull out of it, And so I'm going to give you some of those. Before we focus in on the one phrase, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we can see out of this this verse. Uh, Matthew, if you'll go to the the next. First, we see that uh, that the Christian life is a crucifixional life. It's a crucifixional life because Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. The second thing we see out of this verse is that it's a resurrectional life. He says, nevertheless, I live. The third thing is... Uh, that it tells us about the Christian, Christian life. It's an incarnational life. He says, but Christ liveth in me. The next thing we see is that it's also a sacrificial life. He says, "In the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God. All right, the fifth thing we see from this verse about the Christian life is that it's also a devotional life. He gave him, Paul says, Christ loved me. And the last thing the verse reveals about the Christian life is that it's a substitutional life. He gave Himself for me. All right, and so those are some pretty deep truths, and we can spend uh, weeks—a week—sermon on each one of these truths. Uh, But this morning, what I want to focus our attention on is the small part of the text, the important phrase that Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. So that's where I want to focus our attention. It's just four words. It's just four words. It's a title, Christ. It's a title, it's a verb, lives, a preposition, in, and a personal pronoun, me. So four little words, one of the most important truths you're ever going to learn about the Christian life. In that phrase, what we see is the person of all majesty on one end, and the person of all misery, me, me on the other end and right smack dab in the middle is the proposition of all mercy the person of all majesty actually lives in me amen. amen so this is kind of going to be interactive this morning so i want you to see in my hand this is a glove right would you agree this is a glove it's old work glove it's dirty it's nasty it's uh, it's been used and in my other hand is a book. All right, here's a glove. Here's a book, right? Would you agree? All right, so I'm going to lay them down here on the pulpit. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't holler out your answer, but let me ask you a question. Can this glove pick up this book? Now, there's only two possible answers to that question, yes or no, right? If it, can the glove pick up the book? So how many of you, by show of hands, would say, yes, the glove can pick up the book? Anybody? Anybody say the glove can pick the book up? No? All right, so raise your hand if you don't think the book, glove can pick the book up. All right, so you don't think? Well, if you, whoever, I mean, I saw one person raise their hand on yes, um, and the rest of you pretty well raised your hand on no. It's a trick question. You're both right. The glove can pick the book up. Now, we know the glove is just going to lay there and not pick the book up, right? But if there's a If there's one adjustment that's made, the glove can pick up the book, right? So it was a trick question. Both of you would have been right. But uh, there's really some good lessons we can learn out of that, all right? There's some really good lessons we can learn about the possibilities in this relationship between the glove and the book. So let me rephrase the question. What can I do to make the glove pick the book up? Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? What can I do to make the glove pick the book up? Use your hand, use your hand. Okay, all right, well, y'all hang with me because we're going this is going we're gonna explore the possibilities, all right? So let's look at it. The first thing that I could do, the first possibility that we have to make the glove pick the book up is I could just tell it to do so. I could tell the glove to pick the book up. Now, you're probably gonna think I'm crazy, you probably already do, but let's let's try it, all right? Hey, Glove, pick the book up. Glove, pick up the book. It's just laying there, totally passive, right? It's just laying there. Listen to me. Focus on me. You can no more live a victorious life in Christ by merely being told any more than that Glove can pick that book up by me telling it. Understand? Understand? But most of our Christian communication, most of our Christian lives and our walks is designed to tell people to live the full and powerful, victorious life in Christ. We tell them. And most of them never do it a day in their lives. The typical Christian life we see today is is not, and and, and two years or three years, three or four years ago, in this church, uh, some of you were here, but Brother Herb Hodges Said this very exact thing, and it stuck with me, and I know it stuck with Buffy. But the typical Christian life we see today is not at all similar to the Christian life that produced the book of Acts. And that's sad. That's a sad testimony. The usual Christian life today is more Corinthian or carnal than it is Ephesian or spiritual. Does that make any sense to you? So many Christians go through all the activities and the motions of the Christian life. And they still don't live a powerful or victorious life in Christ. And that's because we can't do it just by being told to do it. You following? So, so what's the problem? What's the problem? What's the problem with the glove and the book? Why can't the glove pick up the book? Well, maybe if I explain to it how to pick up the book, it could pick the book up. wonder if that would help. Let me. Okay, let me try it. Hey, Glove, listen, listen. Turn your hand, go turn fall, palm down and take your thumb and your forefinger and press them together against the book and, and pick it up. Still laying there. Still laying there. Why is it still laying there? It doesn't have any ears. <laughs> Let's pray and go home. <laughs> I did. I did. I need to start preaching and stop teaching. All right, listen, listen, listen to me. The reason the, book's, uh, the glove's not picking the book up is we can no more live a victorious life in Christ simply by having an explanation of how to do it. Any more than that glove can pick the book up by me explaining it to it. Does that make sense? But so much of our communication in our Christian walks is designed to explain or teach to believers how to live a life of total and powerful victory in Christ. And most of them never do it a day in their lives. It's really, it really is, it's, a, it's amazing to watch how many people come to church on a regular basis, regular attendance to the services of, of church. This is churches just like this when gospel preaching and gospel teaching churches. They come, they sit, And they never live a victorious life in Christ a day in their lives. Never. I heard a preacher call them hypodermic saints. That's what they're called, hypodermic saints. So what they do is they're Christians that come and use the church services to get a shot of spiritual uh, survival. They get a shot of spiritual survival, but they have no procedure to implement the Christian life for them. So they come and get a shot of Christianity and then they go live the rest of their life and come back in next week and get another shot of it. But and, and look, a lot of these people have a great respect for, for, for the gospel. a lot of them do that and for the level of spiritual life they see in other people, but they will never be victorious themselves unless someone walks with them or walks them through the spiritual mechanics of how to live the Christian life. and that's the only way they'll be able to independently live victoriously in their own walk with Christ. Amen. So an explanation. To how to live, the like I just gave an explanation to the glove, an explanation of how to live the Christian life to believers, especially new believers, is crucial. But a person can't live that life just by receiving an explanation alone. They can't do it. So what's the problem? What's the problem? Back to the glove. Why can't the glove pick up the book? Maybe it didn't hear me. Maybe the glove didn't hear me it ain't got no ears. Well, let's test that. Let's see if the glove uh, if the glove heard me. I mean, how can how can the glove obey the instructions if if and how can we obey instructions if 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 we're not serious about obeying them? Right? So so I have to make sure that the glove heard me and that it understands the seriousness of obeying me. So let's be let's let's be sure the glove heard me, all right? Hey glove, Pick up the book. Pick it up. It doesn't here. Yeah. But listen, do you... <laughs> what are y'all laughing at now? I'm losing... I, well, listen, listen. I'm screaming at a glove, right? I'm screaming. Do you know preachers like that today? Do you know churches like that today? See, no no matter how loud I get up here, no matter how excited I am, the glove's still just laying there. Still just laying there. Listen to me. You can no more live that victorious life in Christ by being shouted into it than that glove can pick the book up by me shouting at it. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. If there's anybody with any reason to shout, it's the born-again believer. A born-again believer has every reason in the world to to shout. They personally know Christ and they should be shouting to others, sharing him with others. But our communication of Christ should never depend upon the excitement by which we share him. Does that make sense? Y'all follow me? So it it should never depend on our volume. It should never depend on our excitement or any type of manipulation of the atmosphere. These things can contribute to an emotional spirit in the audience and human emotions, listen to me, human emotions can override human logic. And it winds up leaving people without the miracle of salvation and without the personal presence and power of the Savior in their lives. Emotions can be manipulated. So nothing less than than the miracle of Christ's incoming presence will ever be able to enable a person to live a victorious life in Christ. You can't do it by being shouted into it. Amen. Amen? So what's wrong? The glove's still sitting there. Well, it's not being obedient, right? The glove still has not been obedient to anything that I've told it. I've told it. I've explained to it, I've yelled at it. Maybe it just needs some discipline. Maybe the glove needs discipline. So, just look at it. It's laying on the pulpit, and it kind of conforms to the shape of what I lay it on, right? If I drape it over the microphone over here, it's gonna conform to the shape of the microphone. If I lay it on the floor, it'll become as flat as the floor, right? In fact, this glove here will lay will will conform to the shape of anything that I lay it on. Because the reason is is there's not enough force of anything inside the glove to resist the shape of its outside environment. Does that make sense? Not enough force inside the glove to re- resist anything on the outside. How many Christians do you know like that? How many believers do you know like that? Most Christians live their lives being shaped by the pressure of the world and, and that's because they have no power inside so they'll take the shape of any environment that you put them in because there's not enough force of the presence of Christ within them to resist the pressure of the environment of the outside world that makes sense so if I if I If I discipline this glove, if I give it a beating, if I beat it against the pulpit, you think it's going to pick up the glove or the book? No. So If I lay it there and tell it to pick up the, the glove or pick up the book after I just disciplined it, you see it still just lies there. So you can no more live the victorious life in Christ by, be, by being beaten into it any more than that glove's going to pick that book up by being beaten into it. But it's amazing to see how many Christians come to church expecting a whipping every week, expecting to get their toes stepped on every week. A lot of times after a, a pretty severe sermon, they'll come up to the pastor and say, Well, pastor, you sure stepped on my toes today, and I thank you for it because you never, you, you never do me any good. Unless you step on my toes. Listen, that's an immature response to hearing the truth of the word of God. That's guilt. That's what it's called. It's called guilt. No one ever lives a victorious life in Christ out of guilt. It can only be lived out of grace. You can only live the victorious life in Christ out of grace and not guilt. So why do so many Christians expect or even demand discipline in order to, to their conscience. Why? And what's even more crazy is seeing how many Christians whip themselves in order to, to compensate for, for seeing, uh, thinking they're going to cause some greater devotion to Christ in their lives. If they whip themselves, listen, God knows when, how, and to what degree to whip his children. He don't need our help. And when it's time to go behind the woodshed, he'll take us. And here with us, all the self-beating in the world is never going to give you any victory. All the self-beating in the world will never give you victory. You've got to trust and be assured of the fact that there is full forgiveness in Christ. Because his shed blood and his mercy. Amen. First John 1.9 says if we confess which means agree with God about it if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to c- cleanse us which means to wash us from all unrighteousness which is everything that's not right from his point of view so look this right here this book is your bar of soap this book is your bar of soap stop apologizing for your dirtiness Stop apologizing and use the bar soap. Amen? Amen. Sin is desperately serious and it's a deadly thing in anybody's life. It is. It's a deadly thing, but full provision has been made to cleanse you of it. It has. I want you to write this down. I want you to, to bury it deep in your hearts. I want you to memorize it. When you confess your sins and you're fully forgiven, and I'm sure some of you have heard this before, but the next time you sin is like the very first time you sin in the eyes of God. When you've been fully forgiven of your sin, the next time you sin is like the first time you've ever sinned. When God forgives, he uh, he chooses to use what? Which attribute of God does he use when he forgives us? His omniscience. His omniscience. He chooses to use his omniscience to forget with He forgets that which he forgives. God forgets what he forgives. Meaning he'll never allow sin to stand as a factor in your fellowship with him anymore. Anymore. So let me say it again. You'll never live a victorious life in Christ just by being beaten into it. Ever. So what's wrong? What's the problem with the glove? The glove just lays there you know maybe it's dirty I told you it was dirty it's old work glove so maybe the dirt is preventing its performance right so if we cleanse it and remove the dirt maybe it'll let it pick up the book right so let me just take it and wipe it off on my pants it ain't that dirty it's just a little dirty so now when we put it up there it's clean that disqualification has been removed it's not dirty anymore so, Glove, pick up the book. Pick it up. It's not going anywhere, is it? It's still laying there. Listen to me. I just illustrated to you one of the most important truths you'll ever hear. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying here. You can no more live a victorious life in Christ merely by being regularly cleansed of your sins. than that Glove's going to pick the book up. Just by being cleansed. that makes sense? I don't think that makes sense. You can no more live a victorious life in Christ just by being regularly cleansed of your sins and that glove's going to pick that book up by being cleansed. Cleansing and forgiveness only remove a disqualification, a hindrance. They don't provide any power of performance. Being cleansed of your sins only removes a hindrance. It doesn't give you the power to perform. Look at your own life. Satan keeps most Christians on the daily cycle, the cycle of sinning, right? Uh, They become regretful, then remorseful, then repentant, then they're cleansed, then they sin again. And life goes on every day in that same cycle, that same repetitive cycle. And that's, when you live in that cycle, what you're, you're testifying to the world that Christianity is a sinning religion. When you live in that continuous cycle, you're testifying to the world that the, the Christianity is a sinning religion, and, and that is a sin-possessed and sin-occupied. Even, even if there's a temporary victory of cleansing, there's still a conscience sinning, a, a constant conscious sinning. And so and that's really a sad and false misrepresentation of the Christian life. And when Jesus taught us to pray, what did he teach us? Forgive us of our trespasses, but he also taught us to deliver us from evil. Right? Most Christians can tell you about cleanses in their lives, happy cleansings in their lives, but very few can truthfully testify to the deliverances that set them free from a cycle of repetitive sin. Make sense? Listen, Satan doesn't care how clean you are. He does not care how clean you are. If he can immediately get you back on the sin cycle again, he doesn't care how clean you are. Every Christian must live a regularly cleansed life in order to be victorious in Christ, but the cleansed life should never be considered equal with the Christian life. The cleansed life should never be considered equal with the Christian life. If you learn nothing else from this today, I want you to hear this and learn this. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Forgiveness is a neutral concept. Forgiveness is a neutral concept. It only removes a disqualification. It doesn't supply any power of performance. It simply sterilizes a dirty person. It does not release Christ through that person. As wonderful as forgiveness is and as necessary as it is, it leaves the forgiven individual way short of victory in Christ. That makes sense? Y'all following? See, what the Christian life is, the Christian life is Christ. It's Christ received by me. It's Christ resident in me. Christ reigning over me. Christ reproduced in me. Christ released through me. And Christ realized in others because of me. Let me say that again. The Christian life is Christ. Christ received by me, Christ resident in me, Christ reigning over me, Christ reproduced in me, Christ released through me, and Christ realized in others because of me. You hear people say that uh, the Christian life is not rules and regulations, right? It's not rules and regulations, but a relationship, and that's true. That's true. But what's even more and better than that is that it's a relational romance between me and the Son of God. It's a relational, intimate romance between me and the Son of God. Confession, cleansing, and forgiveness are vital in maintaining that romance, but they're not to be confused with it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope that makes sense to y'all. See, it's, it's important. Regular forgiveness is important to practical li- to the practical living of the Christian life, but you can no more live the victorious Christian life by having your sins forgiven, even on a regular basis, than that glove's going to pick that book up just by being cleansed and having the dirt removed from it. It's not going to happen. So, let's solve the problem of the inactive glove. What do I have to do to get the glove to, be- to pick the book up? What do I have to do for this glove to pick this book up? Put your hand in it. it. All right, very good. It's true. But you realize it's inadequate? It's inadequate. Follow me. See, we think and we speak a lot of times, but we do it superficially and misleadingly. Let me illustrate you. See, if I put my hand in the glove, like you told me to, the hand is in the glove, right? The hand's in the glove. But what's the problem? What's the problem with with the hand in the glove right now? What's the problem? God, pick up the glove. Well, it's doubled into a fist, right? It's doubled into a fist. Now, there's as much of that hand that's going to be in the glove as it's ever going to be. There's as much of my hand in this glove as ever as it's ever going to be. But, but that glove will never receive any more of the hand than it's already received. The hand is totally hidden inside the glove, and the glove totally covers the hand. But the glove still cannot pick up the book, can it? It can't. You can no more live a victorious life in Christ merely by having Christ in you than that glove is going to pick that book up merely by having its hand, my hand, doubled up in it. Now, don't misunderstand this point. Jesus did not save you, and I've said this before. Buffy said it, and you've heard it from other people. Jesus did not save you to get you out of earth and into heaven when you die. He saved you to get to, so he could get out of heaven and into earth now through you. Right? In order to be saved, a person must trust and receive Jesus. No sinner is saved without receiving Jesus. Ever. No sinner is ever saved without receiving Jesus. A Christian is a person who has received Jesus Christ, right? And he's a person in whom Christ lives. Christ, a Christ not in you, a Christ not in you is a Christ not yours. And a Christ not in me is a Christ not mine. And a Christ in us is a Christ not ours. Every Christian, every real, repentant, born-again believer has received Christ. But when Christ comes into a person's life, how does he come in? He comes in as a baby. When Christ comes into a person's life, he comes in as a baby. When the person enters into Christ, he does so as a baby. He is a baby in Christ, and it's as if Christ is a baby in him, and each must grow in each other. So, the picture of the glove with the full fisted hand in it is a picture of what happens when a person is saved. The moment a person receives Christ, there's there's as much Christ in him that's ever going to be in that person. There's as much Christ in a person when he's saved than there will ever be. He cannot possibly at any future time receive more of Christ than he's received at the moment of salvation. No matter what degree of his growth, what degree of maturity that, that happens in his life, he will never receive more Christ. Jesus lives in him. Turn to Galatians chapter four. Just a couple of pages over. Galatians chapter four, verse 19. Verse 19, Paul wrote to the same Galatians. He says, my little children, he had led them to Christ. He had led these people to Christ. So he's their spiritual father. He says, of whom I travail, which means experiencing labor pains. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So years before, Paul had won several people to Christ on on this missionary journey, uh, which took him through Galatia. But in the years between their conversion and this letter that he's written to them, something happened and, and their growth was stalled in Christ. So he's playing the role of a spiritual parent when he writes this letter. He's agonizing over them. And he says, until Christ be formed in you. So it's, it's wonderful to be converted to Christ. It is. It's wonderful to be justified of our sin and be born of the Spirit of God and be saved forever. But the new birth, the new birth is only the beginning. It's only the beginning of the Christian life, just as, just as the biological birth of a baby is only the beginning of their, of their human life. That makes sense? After the birth, the Christian must steadily grow in Christ and Christ must be steadily formed in his life. And here's the idea. The Christ who is being reproduced within a Christian is also the Christ that's being released through the Christian and realized by others around him. So the Christianity Christianity you display to the world is a direct result of the formation of Christ that's taking place in your life. Grab a hold of that one. Christianity you Christianity you display to the world is a direct result of your maturity in Christ. The Christians often in the Bible is often um, identified as a vessel, a vessel. What's a vessel? Hmm. That's right. It's it's a hollow object. Yeah, it's a hollow object that that is intended to contain someone or something. Right. The best thing a vessel can offer its owner is what? Its own emptiness. The best thing a vessel can offer its owner is its own emptiness. The best thing you can offer Jesus is your emptiness. But what we do is we crowd him with our own intentions. We crowd him with our own desires and our motivations and our opinions and our thoughts and our preferences. And he's crowded into solitude and silence in the center of our life because we're selfish people that want things our way. He wants your emptiness. That's what he wants. So, And the reason he wants his, your emptiness is so he can form himself within you and he can fill you with his fullness. And then what he's going to do is he's going to pour himself through, through you to your surroundings. So are you willing just to simply be an empty vessel available to Jesus for, for, for formation and filling. I don't know. Maybe this has been strange for you. His sermon's been strange for you as far as your own personal experience is concerned. I don't know, but but Jesus just simply does not live in you. He simply doesn't just live in you. Uh, years ago, uh, uh, an author wrote this book. He's a great Christian. He wrote a book taught, called Christianity is Christ. And he's right. Christianity is first, last, and always about a person before it's about... Uh, Principles or practices or anything like that. If you have never been saved, then what you need for salvation is Jesus, right? If you've never been saved, what you need for salvation is Jesus. Not Jesus also, but Jesus alone. Not Jesus also, but Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus, but Jesus period. So let me uh, wrap this up. How does the glove pick up the book? Hmm? (laughs) That's the Sunday school answer. Jesus is always right. Now, how does the glove pick up the book? Your hand is in the book. Your hand is in the glove, huh? What'd you say? Christ in you, but not just Christ in you. Christ fully formed in you. Christ fully formed in you. So Christ is in you, but then you must mature in Christ. So in order to engage Christian service, what we need is Jesus, not Jesus also, Jesus alone. So if you've been saved, what you need for sanctification is just Jesus, simply Jesus, Jesus alone, not Jesus plus, but Jesus period. When God gives us the information of his word, he's seeking the full formation of his glorious son in us. And that's going to lead to to transformation in our lives so that Jesus can come to to be visible in our world through us right and the reason I know that is because this glove with a fully formed hand in it can now pick up that book it's what it is listen it's 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 not the glove picking up the book it's actually the hand working inside the glove to affect the book. Amen? Is that how Jesus is operating through you? Because it should be. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, I thank you for the perfect truth in your word. Lord, I thank you for who you are and what you've done for the world. God, I thank you what you've done for the world, but individually what you've done for each and every believer. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that is that as believers, we hear his word and we hear that, that not should we not just be believers and Christians, but we have to be mature in Christ. We have to grow so that Christ is fully formed in us so that we can go out and meet the world and serve you. But we can only do it. We can't do it. You, we, we, It can only be done through us by you. So you have to be fully formed in us in order for that to happen. Lord, I love you. I thank you. And I pray now that your Holy Spirit would go to work in this place, that there be any amongst us who don't know your son, Jesus, through the proclamation of your gospel, they will come to know your son here today. I ask you that. In the most precious name. A name that stands above every name. The only name under heaven by which man must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So was that strange for y'all? No? It makes sense. So. Why are we here? Why are we here? What did God create you for? Hmm? to bring glory to him, right? God created us to be with him, to have a relation, to know him, to make him known, but to know him and to bring glory to him. But our sins separate us from him, right? Our sins separate us from him. Sins can't be removed by good works and good deeds and the things that we do. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and he rose again And everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. And life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And it's only through the gospel will hearts and eyes and ears be opened. And I pray today that if there be any in here that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that today you will come and receive Christ into your life. You will repent of your sins you will turn away from your life of sin and you will start running toward him for the rest of your life. So as we start this time of invitation, I'll invite you now to come down. If you want to have a conversation about salvation, if you want to have a conversation about membership, if you've been visiting with us and you feel like you're, uh, the, the Lord is uh, calling you to Crossway and you want to uh, place your membership here, we can have a conversation about that. Maybe you are a believer. You've been born again and you've never been baptized. If you wanna have a conversation about that? We can talk about that as well. But however the Lord's leading you, I'll ask you now to to respond.